welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Harry and Lloyd. We're really doing it, aren't we, buddy? Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Axe Capital. Turn your investment into fucking money with Axe Capital. <laughs> That'll be bleeped, so the audience will be like, "Okay, of we're course we know that. it was bleeped." Yeah, oh, we're gonna have to. If we're gonna beat that, we're probably gonna have to beat me a few times. Yeah, we. I usually do. I, yeah, I have a worse worse vocabulary than you. Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes, and I am Todd, and this is a show where we like to analyze, break down, tear apart, figure out what makes a movie a movie. And so, if you've never heard of a pestle before, it's a reference to uh, mortar and pestle, like whenever you're cooking and you grind up corn or wheat flour to make flour. Uh, that's what's happening. So we think of the pestle as an opportunity to kind of grind up a movie and see what it's made of coming from the perspective of filmmakers. Like I've been a full-time filmmaker for almost eight years now. I believe that. That's insane. I was saying last week, I, I remember the day you told me you were going to buy a camera and I was yeah. like, why? <laughs> it was crazy because <laughs> at the time I really was just thinking, I just want to learn so that I can make short films. I wasn't thinking yeah. I'm going to become a full-time filmmaker. Like yeah. that seemed insane to me. Yeah. <laughs> but yet at the same time, I also thought, yeah, but you'll make a movie. You won't make a living at this, but you'll make a movie doing this. Okay. And yet Here you're we making are. a living. Yeah. Awesome. Sanity. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea where I'm going to go from there, but you're a full-time producer. Um, yes. Yeah. Which is, it's crazy too. I mean, I, I didn't, I grew up loving, you know, movies like most kids do or whatever, but I never thought that I'd be working in them. I'm a producer, right? So not really like, you know, cinematic films yet. I'm working towards that. But to plenty of stuff that, you know, are is all over the internet for like big brands and stuff. And I'm really proud of all of that, you know, like being able, being able to say I made that, um, or I had a hand in that and it feels, it feels really good. And it's really cool to, to like have a story of getting there. Right. So I, I did music for a long time and, and still love music and I still, you know, uh, play around a little bit, but I started getting into film and, and producing and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the process of making something out of motion picture that was, it involves so many people and so many things you have to think about. And it's, it's like not, and not just on how to make it, but what you're making and why. And it's like, you have to think about that the entire process. And so, yeah, so I love it. And I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to, I had a know, creative meeting this morning where I'm working with uh, another writer director in town. We're going to co-direct a short film. Know, what? And I know it, for me, that's like, it's very sensitive for me to yeah. be co-directing anything. Oh, now. Yeah, of course. Um, cause you're, giving up half of the control of a project. Uh, the director is, and this was kind of fought in the early days of Hollywood on who, who accepts the award for best picture because initially it was like, Oh, should that be the director? Or should that be the producer who gets the main credit for a film? And that was kind of a war back and forth. And eventually the director gets the main credit, but the producers get to collect the award, the award for best picture, but the director gets its own category for best director there's no best producer category and so it's interesting yeah it, they oh, found man. they found their balance for sure and producers are fine with that uh yeah i mean they are now it's century of <laughs> of ingrained society huh. uh conditioning yeah but we they just added the cinematography award a few years ago uh or, hmm no not 
Oh, well, what they were looking at doing was removing best, uh, cinematography from one of the Grace Awards. Removing it. Yeah, well, to being given off camera. Uh, yes, like you that's get what it was. I knew it had stage. something to do with cinematography. Yeah, there were four of them, like wardrobe. And then they, they like and, had like a crate, a fit. Yeah, and so they, yeah. Huge blowback As on they one. should have. Uh, yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Like one of the main influences on what you're seeing in a movie. <laughs> What? Uh, yeah. What do you What are you going to direct if if the, what you have on camera is garbage? I mean, come on. And so this meeting this morning, uh, we were discussing originally shooting on Super 16, and she was like, "Yeah, the story's changing." And so now I'm thinking about shooting it on digital, and I was like, "That's amazing!" Like, because uh, she's still relatively new. She's directed, you know, a few projects now, but um, there's certain parts of the, the the process that she's still learning and. Uh, you know, experimenting with, which is kind of the coolest part uh, about working with her. She's super experimental. Um, and that's, that's cool. You know, invigorating. I'm like, yeah, break me out of this other crap that I'm used to doing and do something completely different. And just the, the idea that she was thinking in those terms, I feel like most directors who are even seasoned don't really think intelligently about what they're shooting on and why. And so for her to already be thinking about, yeah, I'm going to switch from film, even though she has budget for film. Like she'd been given grants to shoot on film. She was like, it doesn't make sense for this project anymore. I'm like, you're like 10 steps ahead of the game. And wow. in that way, like there's all these other things. And we got into this really cool conversation. But uh, to your point, like there are so many decisions that go into making a thing that goes way beyond like just setting up a camera and pressing record. Yeah, I mean, there's a there. Yeah, there's a difference in an okay story made really well, and a better story made poorly. Yeah. Right. So you kind of have to have both. So my question for you is: You were in a band for years, running it and producing, like you did an insane amount of work. You know, uh, in your band initially, it was. You know, you creating everything, you know, um, and what have you learned or that you've carried over into filmmaking? Like, was there anything in there that you feel like, oh, this uh, has carryover or even if it's just basic stuff like having the stick to okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think it, I have to pick two things. One would be uh, you have to just do it right. Like the the very biggest thing is that nobody's going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And if you expect the other people in your band or other people to, you know, that you're working with to do the thing that you have in your head, you're always going to be upset because it's never going to be what you have in your head, like what you picture exactly, or it won't get done at all. And one way could be worse than the other. I don't know, but both usually happen. Either it doesn't get done or it gets done very poorly in your mind. So you just have to do it. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. And then the other thing is, is, uh, collaboration. I was a terrible collaborator, not good. I just wasn't, was not a good collaborator, you know, because I always, for some reason, I just held my, my songs like so close to the chest that it was really hard to let go any piece of them to be written by somebody else. I mean, any piece. And that's just not the way to create. Like you need to, you have 
people around you for a reason. You've picked these people to be around you for a reason and to bring them in and then say, be quiet and sit in the corner and play your instrument is just defeats the entire purpose. Right. And so for years I was just like, I didn't know how I had never needed to collaborate in any other band that I was in. It was always just me telling everybody what to do and nobody wanted him to give input. And then in the last couple of bands I was in, they did want to give input and it was really hard for me to know how to receive that and in film you have to i mean you got to collaborate i mean as a as a even as a director like on set you have to be able to make it like change stuff on the fly take in information for what's happening in the moment and make a change if it needs to be changed or listen to somebody who has a great idea to solve this problem because you're gonna have problems and you need to be okay with like giving away a little bit to get something better out of what you've got in front of you. So those were the two things you got to do it and you got to be open to, to taking from others that are willing to give, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a good question. It's a good question. And because every phase it's changing the idea you have, the script you write is a different movie than the script that you end up shooting. Totally. Um, Yes. Getting on set and you're like, crap it's a rainy day today and we don't have this is a short film we don't have infinite budget to, <laughs> yes, to shoot yes. another day like suddenly this scene is now about rain <laughs> you know? and yeah, yeah. then you get into the editing room and you see what's working and what isn't and it becomes a different movie so you're constantly in this uh give and take if you're doing it well and if you're doing it right it's a constant like give and take you're yeah. just trying to make things work uh in the same conversation we'll move along i guess but uh the same conversation this morning i was talking about how i was working uh, a scene on a, a short film and my actor wasn't giving me what i was wanting and they just flat out wouldn't do what i was asking oh wow. um and it was one of those things where i'm like okay how can i make this work and i figured it out in the moment um of how to still get what i needed because this was a pivotal scene in the short and i needed to, to to kind of break the fourth wall and they just wouldn't give me uh and the fourth wall being like kind of winking at the audience talking to the audience in in a, in a manner of speaking and so i was trying to get that to happen and they just wouldn't do it. And so I, I figured, figured out a way to make it happen. That still worked for the story and worked, played well. But on the way back to the car, I was like, Hey, uh, do you trust me? And they were like, yeah, of course I trust you. I, I do. I was like, okay, well, I need you to trust me a little bit more. Mm. And I think we're going to make something good. Okay. I'm with you. Cool. And so, you know, you just got to have these uh, conversations and you're constantly trying, you should be trying to protect the set environment. The last thing you want is tension on set. Yeah. It will creep into the shots yeah. like an upset actor that's trying to do a comedy. That's going to be really bad comedy, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Anyway. Yeah. So we're continuing our month of, or maybe we're starting our month of, of scary. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing today? Oh, today we are doing 28 days later. Ooh. Oh, I'm very excited about this. So, um, for those of you out there and, and hi, hi everybody on film. This is our first recorded, uh, uh, episode and we're so happy to be live with you. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, 20 days later. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this film, please pause this, go watch it. Cause we're going to talk about all the details and there's going to be a lot of spoilers. 
So much fun. We're going to talk yeah. about a lot of things. Uh, cinematography, how the format that you shoot on affects the story, uh, specifically in 28 Days Later. Uh, we'll talk about story and writing and so many other such things and stuff. And, and things. Yeah, probably zombies. <laughs> probably. Maybe a little bit. Maybe. A little bit. Uh, so a quick synopsis of the film. Four weeks after a mysterious, incurable virus spreads through throughout the UK, a handful of survivors try to find sanctuary. Directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, Cinematography by Anthony Dodd Mantel. Uh, Mantel? Mantel. Sure. Uh, Featuring Killian Murphy as Jim, Naomi Harris as Selena, Brendan Gleeson as Frank, Megan Burns as Hannah, and Christopher Ecclestone as Major Henry West. You don't know nothing. Well, I think Bill's got a point. If you look at the whole life of the planet, we, you know, Man has only been around for a few blinks of an eye. So if the infection wipes us all out, that is a return to normality. <laughs> that what you meant, Bill? Yeah, yeah. Have you, uh, have you met our new age sergeant? <laughs> our spiritual guru? <laughs> Tell me, Farrell, exactly why did you join the army in the first place? <sighs> This is what I've seen in the four weeks since infection. People killing people. Which is much what I saw in the four weeks before infection and the four weeks before that and before that. As far back as I care to remember, people killing people. Which, to my mind, puts us in a state of normality right now. So, how long has it been since you've seen... 20 days later. Uh, hmm. A good while, five, six years. Yeah, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Does it still resonate? Oh, yeah. I, I love this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. It's like one of my favorite zombie movies for sure. Nice. Yeah, definitely. I love it. And I love the... Um, I mean, there's there's a lot about it that I love. I love the the, the use of sporadic. What is the? What, how do they do that with the camera? Like on the zombies, like shutter speed. Oh yeah, or, the, or, or frame rate, frame ratio, yeah, or something. A high shutter speed, uh, low shutter angle. Yeah, it's whatever. Choppy. They make it really. Choppy. You can explain that yeah. in a minute because <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, I love I love that style. I love the the like tilted camera. Yeah, most the of the time, angle. which yeah. just puts you in this like really weird feeling. You just like feel off the entire movie. Uh, I love the the progression of Jim from this kind of like meager, almost lost character to this badass. Yeah, like at the end, it's almost like he becomes a zombie, right? Totally. Like I mean, he's they infected. play on that, but yeah, to the to the military. He's now a zombie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even to Selena, he's a zombie. Yeah. After he bashes that guy's head yeah. and that's like holding her hostage. That moment of she, suspense. Yeah, he's in the he's in the shadows, and she thinks he might be mm-hmm. a zombie because of what he just did. Yeah. It syncs with with like there there. I think all of us have something like that in us, you know. Whether or not it's that extreme is is different, but we all are somewhat infected with, you know, some really terrible stuff. I mean. We, whether we like to admit it or not, we have like pretty awful thoughts at times and we get really angry over tiny things that don't matter and, and all of these things. So we're all, 
somewhat infected with this rage, if you want to call it. And um, I think they play on that really well. I think they, they have the whole movie has this kind of air of of tension with it. And I think that has a lot to do with the cinematography and it has a lot to do with the shutter speed yeah. ratio angle thing and their choice of when to use it and when not and what to do with the characters and, and when are they going to have exposition and, and how are they going to do it and so yeah I feel the characters and dude I will say uh, what is it, Brendan Gleeson I just love him anytime you see that guy you're just like man I, I just love that guy so much so and he's not even in the movie too much you know like he's just I mean he's in a, for a good chunk but yeah. it's you know maybe 30 minutes or something so yeah. it's like maybe a third of the movie he's in maybe um, and then the way he dies is so sad but he kind of has to right because he's this father figure and yeah yeah, yeah. and the, like they play on that a little bit with with Jim and and he calls him dad at one point. Oh, too. that's right. He wakes yeah. him from his nightmare, right? Yes, 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 Thanks, yes. Thanks, Dad. Which is funny. I, that scene always kind of pulls me pulls me in an interesting direction because whenever I see him having this nightmare, and at the time you don't really know it's a nightmare. You just uh, the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, he's been abandoned, and now he's freaking out. Yeah. And then you wake up and you realize, oh, that was just a nightmare. And I become thankful towards Frank. I'm like, oh, thank you. And to see him not thank him, but instead get snarky yeah. uh, is really fun and a much better dynamic and revealing. It's like and- a real son to his dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It helped for me. It totally held up. The acting is fantastic and, and the directing and the, and it, it was one of those movies where, you know, sometimes we do these episodes and you'll, you'll explain, Oh, this shot, they did this shot. Um, they did this angle on this shot to convey this, or they did this movement to convey that. And without you saying that, I might not have noticed, but in this movie, I kind of notice all of that and everything has like a purpose to it. And it's like pretty obvious, but not in a, not like in a bad way, not yeah. like in a, Oh, I know why they did that more in a way of, of, Hey, I think they did that. Cause now I'm feeling this. And I think it's because they did that. And, or I'm feeling, I'm feeling like really in the room right now. And, it, and they just did like this little pan. Right. And a little dolly same, move when they're, that the, dolly move yeah. when they're sitting on the, on the, on the, the couch, couch. Yeah. it was really cool. And there was several, but I just remember that cause it was towards the end yeah. and I just finished watching the movie and it stands out because there's not that much camera movement throughout the film. Right. There really isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all locked. Like a lot of it is locked off. Some yeah. of it's has super slow push in or super slow pull out, but like most of it is just locked off and still. And so when there's movement like that, you're it's, you pay attention to it. Yeah. And it, but that movement was to keep every, all the same people in the frame. And so I really felt like part of it. And I noticed that, you know, so it was everything that they did actually, you know, like held weight, you know. And it's so. funny because Danny Boyle loves Dutch angles. Like oh, even, yeah. I mean, he got Train spotting. Yeah. I, I feel like this, it wouldn't surprise me if he was like, I just want to do a movie full of Dutch angles. So I'm going to, what can I do a, a apocalyptic movie or something you have a zombie script let's do that, let's do that. yeah <laughs> i just want to break out dutch angles on everything and dutch angles like you were saying is just whenever you're tilting the camera off its axis so that if you're shooting the horizon then the horizon line is no longer uh even the way yeah. we normally see it and and to your exact point like it does it sets the world askew everything's off balance and off kilter and it's unsettling because now we feel like we're we're upset everything is upset and it's just yeah, yeah. 
yeah. And obviously for a film like this, you can insert it at any point because the entire world is upset. <laughs> Definitely. What about you? Yeah, no, I I remember watching this in theater and I was so excited about it and because Fast Zombies, like this is a complete uh, reimagining of, you know, the a very classic evil, a classic story of zombie apocalypse. And except now uh, these are really fast zombies and uh, they're extremely contagious. They turn really fast. Zombies didn't used to turn fast. It used to be you could yeah. you could get bit and hide it for sometimes hours or days and then you slowly deteriorate and become a zombie. Yeah. And in here it was just instant. It was like you have seconds. Uh, and that was all very you know, invigorating to say, what's going to happen? Like, if you get scratched, if you get it in your eye, any kind of blood transmission. So now this is just the most hyper over the top uh, zombie scenario. And how could that not be exciting? Fast zombies? Like, yeah. this, is, this is crazy. Yeah. And so watching it still, like, I've probably watched this same as you. It's probably been three or four years. Um, I try to revisit this every once in a while for sure. And I just... I look at the runtime and it's almost two hours. It's like an hour 53. And I'm like, oh man, this is such a long movie. But I'll look up and it's halfway through. I'm like, mm. when did we get here? <laughs> yeah. How? And then you got to go through like what happened. Oh man. Okay, cool. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So much happens like that. You have this whole opening scene with the activists, which is one of my favorite things. I think it's really cool that good intentions was the, the pathway to hell. Uh-huh. Like they went in there with the best of intentions to free these animals. And um, so it's really fun to, to have a starting off point of there was no evil intent behind any of this. It was a good intention gone wrong. It was a really good motivation that just completely destroyed the world. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and so just kind of all these foundational ideas going through it every time. It was fun to just sit there and take notes for the first time because it was one of those things where. I've watched this so many times and I always kind of know what's going to happen next. And it's still like, gets me, get, get the tire changed. Get the tire on, get the tire on. Come on, come on. Which that shot is really cool. It's really cool. I was looking at a, uh, I found an article and I'll link it in the show notes that the way they achieve that shot of the big shadow on the wall is they'll set up lights, I guess on either end. Um, but a nice small light and then they'll actually have people run the opposite direction. They'll have, cause if you're on the left. Oh yeah. So that the shadow looks bigger. Yeah. And so they're running toward bigger. the light yeah, so that the yeah, shadow yeah. gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And it creates this kind of disorienting effect. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I just never thought about how to accomplish that shot. So reading this cinematography article on the making of this film, this Anthony Dodd Meadle mantle threw this little tidbit out and he was like, yeah, this, kind of an old Hollywood trick. I'm like, yeah, super old. I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh yeah, it's what I do on my weekends. Yeah, because I've thought about using a similar effect for other projects, but uh, that specific effect, because of how disorienting it is, because the way they're running looks weird, but they're getting bigger. And yeah, I love it. So there's just... For me, it's endless goodies in yeah. here. Um, yeah. I mean, and that that scene, the the scene, the tire changing scene is is like amazing because the first thing you think, oh yeah, they're coming and it's rats, yeah. right? Which is bad enough, <laughs> right? It's like gross. Um, uh, so you're thinking, okay, it's just rats, and then you see a body move, right? And it's like, oh my god! And to that effect, the introduction of the first zombies, like freaked like freaking 
crazy. You're talking about in the church? In the church. Mm. There's just bodies everywhere. The first time you see any any organic material besides uh, Jim mm-hmm. um, is in this church, and it's just bodies everywhere. And he says hello, and this just... <gasps> And just stare at him. And their right, their jaws, their jaws open are open. hanging open. Yeah, yeah, just staring at him, and they don't move. Right, so it would be in a shot like that. It would be so tempting to have them see it and then run. Right, but they just sit there, and you're thinking, okay, they just sat there, and then the priest comes. Like so, such a great, great introduction to them. So the way they use the zombies is really cool too. It's almost. I mean, not really, but almost sparingly, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, it's, which makes it even cooler because, you know, we, we always talk about like the best monsters are the ones you don't see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, like the lack of showing yeah. a ton makes suspense happen. And I think it gets to the heart of what this movie is about, because even though it's a zombie apocalypse, it's really not about man versus nature. It's about yeah. man versus man because uh, there's nothing more terrifying than the collapse of civilization and now it becomes kind of a study of interpersonal communication and power uh, dynamics. And so yeah. um, seeing all that kind of come about and the way they manipulated them into their you know nest uh, was all just... It makes it so much better. And I have a whole, well, not a whole thing, but a thing about the villain in this movie for sure. But uh, yeah, they use, and I think that's a big reason why, uh, to your point, showing less keeps the tension high. Because if you know where they are, then then you, that alleviates that, that tension for yeah, you. Yeah. But when you, you don't know and everything becomes more heightened because every sound, mm-hmm. every movement, like everything just feels that much more on edge. Totally, man. Oh, they did. They did it really well. Freaking love this movie. Uh, let me dive a little bit into cinematography because uh, this is one of those one of the first movies for me that I really started caring about cinematography because when I found out they shot this on DV tapes. And at the time, I was just a screenwriter. I was just writing scripts, and because I couldn't afford film, but whenever it was like, oh no, they shot this on you know a DV tape, digital videos, like those little tiny old cassette uh, looking digital cameras and it's recording to magnetic tape. And so, uh, the fact that the, he shot an entire big budget, you know, zombie movie on, you know, $5,000 cameras is insanity. And so digital, the, the reason behind it though, I think is so much more important than just doing a thing because you can do it. Don't shoot a movie on an iPhone just because you can shoot a movie on an iPhone. Yeah. Like, have it be central to the kind of story you're trying to tell. And in this case, shooting on those DV tapes, it's digital, it's low resolution. That texture adds a degraded post-apocalyptic veneer. Everything's a little dingy. And it's important because society has deteriorated. So the image is deteriorated. And so the format is really important. If this were any other format, uh, it really changes the film and the feeling you know, that it's going to evoke in the audience. And this format gives such a great low quality ghostly vibe that it just fits, you know, seamlessly in with the content. But with that in mind, like shooting on this kind of format, you have a much greater depth of field. So you can't really have the shallow uh, depth of field that really helps direct the audience's eye. And, And because of that, suddenly all these other things became 
orders of magnitude more important than it otherwise would have been, such as the set design, the lighting, the composition. Those are all really important to help direct the eye. So you can't cheat your environment. The entire environment becomes more important. And then it just looks bad. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're just in yeah, this got, empty room. Yeah, and the film looks bad and, yeah, okay. But now Makes whenever sense. you can see everything, you can yeah. see all the way into the distance. Whereas, you know, if you're shooting shallow, maybe you can cheat that the street is empty by just shooting shallow. <laughs> they did a lot of deep, wide shots in this. Tons. Yeah. Tons of them. And to perfect effect for sure. Yeah. And one of the, the great thing that I loved was that the, so 95% of this movie is shot on these really crappy, degraded digital video. And then at the end though, the final scene, everything is in 35 millimeter film. He oh. switches us over because suddenly it's cleaner, it's prettier. The world isn't lost anymore. Suddenly things are starting to come back. Life is back. Uh, we have a better picture to reflect, you know, that the reality is getting better too. The world isn't lost anymore. And so it was just like the most perfect seamless integration of switching formats that, you know, is really damn cool. That's awesome. And the other interesting thing, I mean, for one, I'll finish cinematography here like the close-ups in a horror film are so chaotic uh, and they they certainly use a lot of close-ups here um, because it's scary it's restricting our visual information and so it's much scarier when we inherently know the danger already we're in a zombie apocalypse so now whenever you start restricting our visual information the ability to understand the environment we're just like oh crap at any moment something could pop out but then they use those really big wide shots to, to firmly set the scale of this world london downtown big ben like we suddenly it's all abandoned everything's empty and they use that to perfect effect and it they went through painstaking trouble to get those shots, you know? Uh, but that was the other nice thing about shooting on DV is suddenly you can afford to have eight cameras on set. Mm -hmm. And so you can get all your covers that you need and, you know, just a couple takes instead of setting and resetting and loading film and no, just hold rush hour traffic just a little bit. Right. Longer. When you're holding traffic in both directions, <laughs> you know, you got 12 minutes to get these shots, right? And they went through painstaking, you know, detail to get everything they could out of the camera. They didn't say, Oh, we're just going to shoot and whatever the camera gives us, it's going to give us. They, they did their best to get the raw output of the sensor so that the guys in post could, you know, try to save any details in the sky because the dynamic range, the ability to capture a great range of light uh, is so much more reduced. And even though you're trying to create an image, you also want to make sure you're giving the audience uh, enough visual detail to make sense of the scene at all. And the importance of that, just for our listeners or viewers, right? And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to see if, if, I, if I've learned anything from you or, or if I'm listening, um, is, you know, if you, have a, if you have a lot of information, right? If the sensor is collecting a lot of information, then you can pull more blue out of the sky uh, or more green out of the trees um, because that is available right there. Otherwise, you'd have to actually add the blue in like basically CG, right? Mm -hmm. Add the blue uh, or add the green, which is much more costly, much more time consuming and looks fake. And it looks fake. Right. Uh, if it's not done yeah. really well. So it's it's. So if you're so basically what you're saying is is these DV tapes uh, don't have as much information. 
So because of that, you've got to make sure that you've got your, all your settings right to, to maximize what you're going to be giving the people that are going to be doing the color that are going to be possibly doing CG on other aspects of, of things like adding things in. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, mostly what they were doing is if, you know, certain shots, they just knew we can choose this much information. We're going to lose this guy. And so Hmm. we're going to make sure we get, uh, a separate shot of the sky and then we're going to do what's called a composite in post so that you will digitally cut out everything uh, you know from a certain section or above um, but there, there's other ways to cheat it too you can put uh, filters uh, on the front of your lens that changes the exposure for the top half of the, of the image no. um, it's like a graded cool. ND filter That's cool. um, and to pull a polarizer and so yeah there's all kinds of little techniques and they did it all to make sure that we're not just, you know, being sloppy just because the camera doesn't want to give us all the information that we we want doesn't mean we can't take it from yeah. it anyway. Right. right. And it's just, you know, it's the importance of, you know, loving your work and and attention to detail and hats off to Anthony Dodd Mantle for just killing it. Yeah. But it's also interesting because whenever you have something that's degraded the importance of sound becomes that much more you know significant as well like in any film sound is so much more important if you screw up sound you don't have a movie but here i thought it was interesting because obviously this is incredibly well edited for effects but you know certain sequences like the explosion of the uh the gas station Mm -hmm. they intercut like 10 or 15 takes and that sound editing was so perfect that it made you feel like and all those shots especially all the establishing the, you know the first 30 minutes of the movie all those wide angles it makes you feel like you're watching cctv like these are all police cameras you know that are on corners and so it, it adds that much more to the abandonment and that we're really just witnessing a guy in a city trying to make sense of everything and then they also seem to degrade the sound a little bit like this wasn't crisp clear sound but it wasn't like garbage sound yeah but it sounded like their version of what uh, was a little more thinner less bassy uh like this is what the dv tapes were catching yeah um, even though it that's totally wasn't it's a good point yeah but it's what it kind of felt yeah. like yeah and so so <laughs> diving switching gears a little bit yeah uh story i zombie worlds are just ripe with tension every pause every noise every dead body every door every dark corner all of it just sets you on edge. And so they almost kind of present the classic zombie problem through a joke or a jab at Jim when uh, Selena's like, oh, do you, do you want to find a cure and save the world or just fall in love and fuck? It's all so pointless. Staying alive is as good as it gets. Because that's really at the heart of every single zombie movie is you're just trying to stay alive. And most zombie films don't end well. Like, I would have a really hard time coming up with more than... Uh, one or two zombie films that have a good ending in mm-hmm. terms of hopeful and things get better because most of them just the world is garbage and oh you survived only to die in a different location <laughs> yeah right and so we'll come back to that here in a second because alex garland is my favorite screenwriter and he wrote this of all of all, of all. yeah wow. okay uh, cool and which yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm right. just gonna commit I'm to that. I'm holding your fire. <laughs> yeah, that's good because I love Christopher Nolan. Um, no, no, I get it. Yeah, okay. So I get it. I just love trying to see and make sense of what he's doing. But there's some very basic stuff that he that he does setups and payoffs, like Hannah at 
you know, we set up her driving skills with her little stunt at the gas station, right? She whips the car around after they're finished refilling and that comes into play. It's not just a wasted, oh, this is a tense moment and is she going to get everyone killed? No, it sets up for at the end whenever she kills the major uh, by backing in and uh, giving that other uh, chained up zombie uh, access to him or whatever. Like she's an incredibly smart character. And I love the lack of obstacles on the road to the military base. I thought that was really interesting because you use obstacles when it can help tell the story, not just for the sake of realism or adding drama. And for them, we kind of already saw them deal with a roadblock once whenever, you know, they got stuck in the tunnel. In the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, And that was kind of enough to address that issue. Now let's let's move on. Let's find new issues, even though the realism would have been the roads are backed up. It's like, no, let's let's abandon the roads and continue this sense of uh, utter desperation to find other people because even adding that tension of wrecked cars or parked cars all along the highway, I think the idea of isolation from humanity was a much bigger point so that whenever you finally get to meet the military, it's like, oh, there's hope here before mm-hmm. they actually tear that away, too. Yeah. And so setting up that isolation, I thought was really important. And it's cheaper. So much cheaper. <laughs> so it's much faster to set up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I love whenever they do get to that next roadblock, they do introduce an issue, which was Frank dying. Um, and what I loved about Frank's death was that it was his anger that gets him killed. Mm-hmm. He angrily kicks that wall and the blood falls into his eye. And it's like. After yelling at everybody. After yelling and getting upset. Like. This is it folding in on him like death is consuming the world. And now he's just become another casualty of of rage. And of course, his death reveals our new quote unquote allies, because in the zombie apocalypse, zombies aren't the worst enemy. And I love that more than just a man versus nature, which is the zombies. The zombies are kind of the the nature of uh, the world because you can't reason with them. Uh, they're just this force, this chaotic uh, force that's now there that you have to contend with. But this becomes also a man versus man and even a man versus self uh, that I think is happening with Selena because Selena has to overcome her own nature, her fight for survival in order to look out for Jim and Hannah in the absence of Frank. And that becomes a really cool thing that gets uh, largely pushed, pushed around with our villain. And this was kind of the, the funnest part for me was, for one, we talk about this a lot, like a villain, a great villain doesn't know he's a villain. Like he's the hero of his own story. But in this case, and that still holds true in this case, he, he doesn't know he's a villain. Um, he's just trying to do what's right for his men and to sustain humanity, blah, blah, blah. Um, all the self-rationalization of being yeah. a piece of crap. But I love the inclusion of him for our main villain because now we have a villain that can be defeated. In a zombie world, like I was saying a minute ago, you don't have victories. You can never win over in a zombie apocalypse. But here, now we do have a villain that can be defeated so that we can gain some catharsis that would otherwise be unavailable in a zombie film. And so setting up this whole new hierarchy, um, something that can be toppled, becomes super critical in having an emotional resolution uh, at the end of a film. And uh, uh, switching a little bit, I think generally Alex Garland likes to use names to uh, convey meaning. And here I'm not going to say I have a huge revelatory method of, oh, he did all these things with names. But I thought there was a potential couple of interesting things. He loves Selena. 
Uh, the singer. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I love Selena. <laughs> Pretty good one, but I don't know. He's a fan of The Office, so so yeah. <laughs> so Hannah. Her name is a palindrome, mm-hmm. and I think that's significant because she is the same before and after the apocalypse. Like nothing changes for her. She's still a really good person. That she maintains her essence, whereas Selena, I think re. In a sense, regresses. So if you think of a palindrome, Selena kind of is almost a palindrome, right? Yeah, the, the, if she, I don't know what name you would carry on through Selena, Celeste, I don't know. But the idea being that her name begins with an S and ends with an A, like she kind of goes back to the roots of humanity. And uh, even though the S being towards the end of the alphabet, uh, she kind of regresses and goes back to normality. And so it's not quite a palindrome, but it goes from selfish to loving. And I think there's something in there and there might be a much easier solution to that idea uh, that Alex Garland would be like, you moron. No, it's, you know, it's Selena. Maybe. (laughs) It's it's the artist. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah. I like it though. And so at the end, I think it kind of points to the stakes at the end, uh, to your point about Jim might be a zombie. And I think he withholds that information to test her and to see. Because the stakes at the end are if Selena will wait for Jim, does love prevail? Because at the beginning, if you think back, Selena absolutely hacks apart her buddy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't wait, doesn't think twice, right? Doesn't wait a heartbeat, um, as she tells him. Whereas Jim has kind of given over into his rage, but it's a it's a righteous rage, um, the rage of it protecting his friends and the idea that they've taken away, you know, so much. And to see her wait and to see her, I love him. And maybe it's not like she said, maybe it's not all, you know, screwed um, at the end of the day. And so maybe there is something worth living for that's beyond just survival. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets to the heart of this film. It's 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 a human connection and can love survive even, you know, the zombie apocalypse. And I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That's all I, I didn't notice Hannah was a palindrome. <laughs> well said. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah, that was a reach because I couldn't figure out, like, what would Jim and Frank be? I have no idea. Um, I Yeah, so that's my very much a stretch. But if any of them make sense, I think Hannah definitely, definitely makes sense. I love that they kind of kept it to this one area, too. You know, like, you don't... They don't go into Germany or yeah. wherever. You know, like, it's like this one... London and the surrounding area, yeah. right? It's not, they're not going all over. This isn't a quest to see. And they don't, yeah, they don't talk about like, oh, it's spread to the US and, and like it's all over the world. It's not, you know, so we don't know. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're going on this journey with them. So we don't know if it's a widespread thing or if it's, you know, specific to the UK or, or like, you know, or what. We're just finding out. Yeah. And, and I love the scene of when he's laying, down in the woods when he falls and he sees the, the plane overhead. Oh yeah. That I remember that shot specifically the first time I ever saw the movie. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's not everywhere. Not everyone is dead. Like, okay, get up. Let's get, go get them and let's get out of here. So for all of you, all of you, um, you know, soon to be filmmakers or filmmakers out there, Danny Boyle shot that shot in his backyard on just, he just had a camera with him and he shot it through the trees in his backyard. The, the plane. Yeah. He just saw a plane what? and he, sh- and he filmed it. So 
point being just do things. <laughs> just do things. Just do man. things, right? Because that is like a seminal shot in the in the film yeah. that tells not just, you know, Jim, but the viewers that this is like there is there's something to fight for. Like it's the world is not all shit. You know, you can make it. Just get up and keep going is an important shot. That's amazing. Shot in his backyard. So what do you give it? Yeah. What do I? Oh, man. Um, I'm I'm going to give it, man, I'm going to give it a 9.5. I try to reserve 10s for just the the ones, the movies that I could literally watch. I could uh, when it's over, I could start it over and watch it again immediately. I don't want to watch this movie immediately again. Yeah. Maybe that is means that much better. I don't know. But it's really amazing. The writing's incredible. The acting is incredible. The directing is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. It's perfect. It's like really perfect. And they did it on a budget and they did it with a purpose and all the all the decisions were calculated and it's noticeable. Yeah. And it's not always a lot of movies are not like that. A lot of movies are, you would have to sit down with somebody who knows that uh, about that specific thing. And they would tell you about it and you'd be like, Oh yeah, no, this is like very on the nose. This is what we're doing. You can come along with us, you know? Um, but it didn't make me feel like, like a stupid viewer, you know, it made me feel like, no, I got to stay with this and pay attention because stuff is happening. Like, like nothing will happen and then stuff happens and like it's, you got to stay on your toes. Yeah. So I loved it. 9.5. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same. Like I'm at a nine and I love this movie to death. I think that the only thing, there's nothing I would change obviously. Um, but the, the only thing that would make me want to get to that 10, even if it's not something I would want to watch like on loop or anything, but I just would want a, bigger emotional reaction I think even though I mean it gets me pretty good you know when Jim gets shot at the end and you're just like no we've got through all this and now he's gonna die uh, and by the way that transition between him getting shot and the the final sequence where they're taking care of him in the hospital they shot that on Super 8 just so as cool. an intermediate like things are slowly getting better and here we are but yeah I think I would just need a little bit more emotional resonance that it hits me a little bit harder. I can um, see that. But I mean, it still hits. It's not like I can see that. I'm going to change mine to a nine. <laughs> I can see that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm still rooting for, uh, Selena and Jim to make it and for her to soften up. And yeah. But. So, so a cool thing. Um, what the only thing I'll say that I, I, cause I did take notes, which I never take notes, <laughs> but I took notes. Um, but the only thing that I'll say, cause I did watch parts of the, the director commentary mm-hmm. and you're welcome. So, yeah. Thank you. But it's really annoying and I never want to do that again. I, I hate it. Um, but there used to, there were multiple endings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the original ending was them just driving away after the guy gets pulled out of the, out of the car, out of the back of the car after What's his, what's his name? Uh, the major, the major gets pulled out of the back of the car. That was the end. And then they went, they went and they showed the movie to Fox and Fox was like, here's some more money, finish it. (laughs) (laughs) And so months later, so the, so the footage of him in the car after he shot and them driving away from that all the way to the end, they shot months later. Wow. 
So the ending was just them driving away, and that was the end. So <laughs> thanks, Fox, because yeah. that would have been a terrible ending. That was a great like, call. <laughs> there was no, nothing happened. What are you talking about? And it was the only ending because they ran out of money. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Didn't know that. They needed more. They needed more money. Whoa! But but it was cool. It, like that kind of thing is really cool because you think about. You think about like, okay, we have to make everything feel exactly how it was three months ago when we finished shooting. And now we bring everyone back three months later and got to recreate this feeling, right? Uh, not just the feeling, but every, every, everything around it, right? And they, they did stuff like that throughout the movie. Like they would, they would change stuff on the fly. They'd be writing stuff the night before and, and like changing, you know, what, what are we going to shoot today? Well, I just wrote this scene last night. Let's do this. Like Holy it happened crap. a couple of times. Like they were just like creating something from nothing it was really cool and the other thing that i love about danny boyle films and i'm sure we talked about this on sunshine but he creates iconic soundtracks oh oh my gosh the music in this is so identifiable i'm so glad you brought that up i don't know why i didn't but the ending the ending track yeah not just the ending track but the way that it's used right it's so low at first it's like almost barely not there. And it takes like five full minutes to yeah. come up. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. Yes, it's incredible. Good point. And it's all really simple too. Yeah. And not like this bombastic, you know, like huge tracks with like, you know, you know, huge drums. It's just. But it wells and it carries you yeah, and it yeah. fits. It just freaking fits. Yeah, man. And so it always drives me a, more than a little bit crazy when I see other people use this tracks. So I'm like, no wasn't created for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not yours it's not yours it's danny's <laughs> um anyway. what are you gonna recommend this week oh uh yes so this week i'm going to recommend one of my favorite zombie films okay can you guess it i'm gonna guess Shaun of the dead yes <laughs> get out of my head are you kidding me Ah, all the time. Nice. Damn it. Yes, yes. Shaun of the Dead. It's so much fun to watch. Um, it's it's brutal and yet it's funny and it's but it's you know heart wrenching too. And yeah, one of my absolute favorites. Fan freaking tastic. Yes. I'm going to recommend the original, The Night of the Living Dead. I knew you were going to. Yeah. I almost did. I almost did. I was this close. I had it open and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then I changed it. I would have been screwed. I would have been like, I have no I idea know. anymore. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> it was, I used to carry two movies around on my old iPod. Um, and the other one was Man on Fire and it was in Night of the Living Dead. I this is it's such a good movie even even today like if you were to go watch it you might think oh it's old and dated but content wise it still can get to you for sure um and it still finds a really surprising note to end on yeah i highly recommend it cool. if you've never watched it and you have 90 minutes to kill good way to, to spit kill it. <laughs> uh, pun intended <laughs> <laughs> Well, stay tuned next week as we continue our Halloween month of horror. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, Hereditary again. Yeah. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. We're going to do Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited. I haven't watched Cabin in the Woods in a couple of years, and so I'm excited yeah, to go back like, and, oh, and yeah. check it out. 
It's been about as long as it's been for 28 days later. Yeah. Yeah. Five, six years. Oh, man, I'm excited. Um, Don't forget to subscribe, review us, leave us a note on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe there as well. And leave us a note if there's a movie you want us to talk about, if there's a topic and a specific movie you want us to talk about, if you like hearing more about, I don't know, set design and wardrobe, we can do a deep dive into that or bring in a set designer. Uh, We have access to some pretty solid set design uh people who have worked on like game of thrones and uh, other I, alex garland films i guarantee you somebody's gonna say downton abbey oh let's oh god please don't say Downton. Yeah, please don't say Downton Abbey. Do and if you want to comment on this film specifically you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash 28 days later all together and we'll leave you with a quote of the day by alex garland <laughs> of course, why not? Your favorite writer. Uh, show people your stuff. Listen carefully to their responses, but ultimately don't value anyone's opinion above your own. Be influenced by writers you dislike as well as writers you like. Read their stuff to figure out what's wrong. Find a balance between the confidence that allows you to, to continue and the self-critical facility that enables you to improve. Get the balance wrong on either side and you're screwed. That's brilliantly, brilliantly said. I was so grateful to see that, see him say that because that's kind of where I live. I live in this place where I, I value other people's opinions of my work, but I value my opinion of my work more than anything else. Um, And not because I, I think I'm anything amazing, but just because if I, I feel like if I lose that, I'm going to lose myself. And now I'm writing out of a place of insecurity when I start trying to write for someone else's taste, I write crap. I've tried to do it before and garbage comes out. And it's just because it's a, you're insecure. You're saying, I think people want this. And whenever you start doing that, I think you, you don't know, you, you lose your own voice. And that's just a disastrous place to come from. Yeah. Uh, but if you write for something that you love and something that speaks to your soul or speaks to your sensibilities, then you're, you have a very grounded frame of reference that you're coming from. And if something doesn't work, that's the other half of this is the ability to self-critique is the hardest part. Because I know a lot of artists who don't have that capability uh, yet or they don't have the desire to look at their own work and be harsh. And I guarantee you, no one's harsher on my work than I am. Mm-hmm. Like, because to me, everything I've made is crap and I'm still working to make something good or great. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I could, I can't say anything else. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's art right there, man. That's what that is. I mean, you gotta, you gotta just do like, yeah. I, I would just keep saying it. You just gotta do things and, and create. And yes, you know, listen to feedback, but at the end of the day, it's, do you agree with that? And you have to be on, you you know, you have to really be self-aware or, you know, woke if you want to say uh, like, and know if what somebody is saying or suggesting is legitimate Mm -hmm. is, um, and if it legitimately would make your creation better, yeah, not just not. And, and by better, I don't mean, you know, um, liked by more people. I mean, liked better by you. You know, it goes back to that whole collaboration thing I was mentioning at the beginning. It's like uh, towards, towards when, when my band worked the best was when we truly and honestly were serious about the term best idea wins, right? You get in a room and you've got a bunch of, a bunch of egos 
and everybody wants to have their piece of this thing, of this creation, right? Because we're all creative beings. But really what it comes down to is what is the best thing for this? What is the best sound or, 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 or movement or section for this thing that we're creating? And there's 10 ideas what the best ideas win the best idea wins that's it that's bottom line not the biggest ego the not best the biggest, idea exactly and and i i will say i had the biggest ego in our band and there were uh, there were plenty of times where i did not have the best idea and it was hard and i think if, if i was still in that band it would probably still be hard for me to like re- let that go but that's the point the point is that like you got to do justice to the thing you're making and if you're if you're just fighting for your idea because your last 10 have not been the best one either and now you're at <laughs> idea 11 and it's still not the best idea and so then you start questioning am i good at this it's not about you right it's about the doing it's about the creating and at the end of the day the guy who holds the light is just as important as the guy who yells cut or action. Really, you can't do it without either of them, at least to that level, yeah. right? And so you have to you have to take that into account, right? And so the guy that holds the light might have the best idea, and you, you just got to be okay with that. But at the end of the day, it's your call because it's your piece. And so you have to be able to say, yes, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Or that's a great idea for something else or you know, whatever. And, and, but I think that I really think that this is, I want it to be this and that's what it is. Anyway, it's a great quote, man. Love it. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. We're so excited to do this this week. I've, I was, I have been on it this week. I really have. (laughs) Uh, and join us next week. As Wes said, we're going to be covering cabin in the woods. Welcome everybody on YouTube and everybody out there in video land, please. Uh, share us tell your friends about us follow us um, and all the good things Uh, we can't do this without you and we really appreciate you visiting us until next time I'm Todd I'm Wes go watch some movies